This is the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Now, here are your hosts, Jeff Sharon, Eric Lopez, and Brian Murphy. What's going on and happy holidays. Jeff, Eric, and Brian with you here on the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. We are thrilled to be with you here as we're recording this two days before Christmas. I know we all didn't get the Christmas present we want, which would have been a UCF victory in uh, Boca Raton Bowl. But hey, you know what? We're all together. We're family. We're going to get through it. We're all going to collectively not overreact to a bowl game, right? Eric? Yeah, yeah. I'm just, yeah, the fan base is really following your lead there, I, Jeff. Yeah. <laughs> well, <laughs> that's why you may have noticed why I, wasn't, why I haven't been on social media very much the last couple days. Uh <laughs> So we'll recap UCF's uh, season-ending uh, shortcomings in the Boca Raton Bowl. Uh, we'll also talk about men's basketball, which is off to a very good start. Another uh, another win, a win in conference against Cincinnati in a very tough basketball game. Uh, we'll also talk about women's basketball, what they've got coming up next and uh, after the holidays. And, of course, we will be – we got some uh, news and notes. Murph, you're going to talk about uh, the baseball schedule being up? I'll okay. mention it briefly. Mention yes. it briefly. Well, that, not I should. I should correct myself. The it's not that the baseball schedule is up. It's that the baseball right. schedule format is up. We don't know right. who's playing right. when. So let's let let's not get let's not get everybody too excited. Uh, and uh, uh, some news out of uh, Idaho about uh, Boise State and the American. A little bit of uh, some some flirting going on. Some I don't know. Uh, I'm trying. I'm trying to keep it like. I'm trying to keep it PG rated here, but you know, a little, <laughs> a little wink, wink, nudge, nudge. You know, so we'll talk about that. Let's talk about the bowl game, though. So, uh, Eric, uh, you and uh, Drew already went uh, deep on this on night shift, but um, you know, just to recap for those of you who uh, have been, I don't know, who have not had internet access for the past couple days, good for you. Uh, 49-23 was the score. BYU with the victory over UCF. The Knights finished six and four. On the season, um, it's the first loss by more than one score uh, in, uh, for, jo- for a Josh Heupel coached UCF team. He had never lost a game by more than one score until uh, Tuesday night against BYU. The uh, uh, Cougars jumped out 21-0 and did not look back in the first. They scored two touchdowns in the first three minutes and 50 seconds. Zach Wilson was as advertised, just an unbelievable game. Uh, by him, 26-34, 425, three touchdowns. Um, Dylan Gabriel on the other side, probably his worst performance as a UCF Knight, which in, in, in all, you know, it's, it's all in all actually wasn't too bad, although he was below 50% in completion percentage, 21-45, 217, two touchdowns, no picks. Uh, Greg McCray was the leading rusher with 77 yards and a touchdown, Otis Anderson at 73. Uh, Tyler Algier was uh, all over the place for BYU. 173 yards and a touchdown. 9.1 a carry. And uh, when we look at the team stats, this is really where BYU just... uh, They had an answer for everything. 655 yards of total offense for BYU. 9.0 yards per play. They actually ran 15 fewer plays than UCF. UCF had 411 yards on 88 plays for just 4.7 yards per play in this game. So, uh, Murph, well, you were there. It was uh, 
It was it was ugly right from the get go, unfortunately. And um, you know, I, I credit to credit to BYU. They came out ready to play, and they put us down early, and then they kept their foot on our throat. And even though there was a, it looked like there was a, a glimmer of hope, but you know, Jalen Robinson had that touchdown pass that would have cut the lead in half. It looked like, but he dropped it. Um, but I my thought was even even if he had caught that one, this was BYU's night, wasn't it? Absolutely. Uh, even if UCF's offense was running at a decent clip with some sort of efficiency, there was too many losses on defense for them to have any chance against this off against this BYU offense. Yeah, um, it really was the game. By the way, uh, interesting, like interesting uh, um, symmetry here. So you said Dylan was twenty-one of forty-five, right? Right. Worst completion percentage for a UCF quarterback since Dylan Gabriel went eight for 20 against FAU. That's right. His first start in the state stadium. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's not so, go back you know, there anymore. Let's just, let's just call it now. Just hey, I'm, all it. It. <laughs> I'm all for it. I'm all for it. I will say it's actually a really nice stadium from the overhead view. It's beautiful. Uh, actually, cause you get to look out um, toward the sunset. It's really nice. Yeah. It's beautiful. Uh, anyway, no, and then let's the not go back. Starts, <laughs> and the game is awful. Uh, yeah, I mean, we 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 talked about it. We we talked about it uh, at nauseum yet last night on the night shift. Like, defense was shorthanded, got picked apart by a first round quarterback. I've seen a mock draft today on Pro Football Focus that had Zach Wilson going second overall. Uh, in wow! Of, <laughs> really? I'm just, yes, that was today on Pro Football Focus. They had they had Zach Wilson going second. Holy uh, in front of Justin Fields. Um, well, he owes he owes us he owes us some he owes us some money then. Oh, listen! <laughs> oh, he's gonna make so much money off that game. Like I, I told, I said it. I think I mentioned it on Night Shift. That game is gonna be playing over and over and over again, leading up to the NFL draft. You know that's yeah. the game they're gonna use for Zach get, Wilson. Get used, when they, to, get used I, to seeing that highlight package with Todd McShay or, or yeah, yeah. Mel Kiper talking over it, huh? <laughs> Yeah, like and like we said last night, you're gonna see was the the one touchdown pass. Um, I, I believe I think was it I think it might have been Tapau the late the the one late in the second half, which was 35 yards out down the right side, and it just it was just a magnet. Uh, the ball was just flung on a rope and right into the receiver's hands with Zamari Maxwell right there in coverage, but there's nothing you can do to defend the perfect throw. Yeah. And um, it, that was like, you know, I said last night, like, Zach Wilson, like, yes, he had, it was great. Also, he had, like, guys running. He had a bunch of free runners all over the place. Like, Isaac Rex was, like, basically uncovered for most of the day. And he just found him. Like, it wasn't that hard. Like, it wasn't like he proved to me how great he was because he was throwing in tight windows or scrambling for his life and throwing across his body. Like, no, he had all day to set up. He was on platform the entire entire night. He had five, you know, he had five seconds every play to find a man who was usually wide open by five yards. Mm-hmm. And then he made a couple of really nice, sharp, tight throws. But the rest of it was just picking apart um, a lost defense. Eric, uh, you like me uh, watched on television. Um, the 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 it, it, this is one of those things where it's just you had a bunch of guys who were who were out there on defense who were not used to being in that position. Obviously, Richie Grant didn't play. 
um, uh, Robinson didn't play. Uh, it, it was it, it and and you know God bless him. I'm sure these secondary guys are going to be talented players, but like they were, it was Highway 88 for them against one of the best quarterbacks in the country. Yeah, I mean, and yeah, they were shorthanded. I think everything Murph said is legit. Not that's an excuse, why, but it is a reason. But then again, that's why I said, why play the bowl game? Why did you accept the bowl? You knew what you were getting yourself into uh, in that regard. Now, maybe you, you thought you would have a couple extra players that didn't ended up not playing that surprised some people. But uh, I, I just look, it's a bad ending. It was a lousy game. Uh, pro football focus, by the way, for whatever it's worth, rated this, actually rated this performance by the defense worse than the South Florida game, which I didn't think was possible. <laughs> which I didn't even think that was possible. Um, so uh, uh, that, uh, needs yeah. great, that needs to be graded on a curve. You know? Graded on a curve? Well, I don't know. I mean, they, they were late. I don't know. I, I didn't think that was possible. But nonetheless, look, everything that could go wrong went wrong in that game. Uh, it's an ugly ending. And what's unfortunate about this, while – we, we we use common sense, and and I've said this, and this is why I that what I don't like about bowl games is we make this a bigger deal than it is, because mm-hmm. now yeah now the you know the the ship is sinking on the program and everything is this and oh this year next year is kind of in the wasteland when yeah the social media and, reaction so far has been it's over like right. <laughs> which well, is and like preposterous said, like, and I agree with Murph I don't believe a bowl game either way carries over to the next year if that was the case. UCF would have never lost again after the Fiesta Bowl win or the Peach Bowl win, or vice versa. That UCF would have never won a game after they got blown out by Arkansas State, which you and I were at, and that was the last time UCF, by the way, lost by more than one score. Yeah. So anybody remember that? Huh? <laughs> was pretty, that was pretty bad too. Um, like two years ago, when like Texas was back, they won. Was it the Sugar Bowl? Oh, that's like, that's still Georgia. no, no. They no, they beat. Notre Dame in a double overtime game in Austin. Oh, yeah, but Mur- and- yeah, yeah, yeah. That happened. That was the testator call. But Murph's referring yeah. to the Texas win over Georgia. But um, look, I mean, that just is what it is. BYU is superior. I do look. There are some questions for this team, the program moving forward. Uh, but that doesn't mean it can't get fixed or what the issues are. But uh, look, it's ugly, and that's the, the 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 unfortunate thing is it leaves you with a really ugly, bad taste in your mouth for a while because. Uh, it was an, I think people were just, I think people understand why the defense struggled against BYU. Uh, I think the surprising thing is how the offense looks so bad. And I think that's the disappointing thing. I think people look, this was a game that was hyped as a top five bowl game matchup, but Hey, this should be an exciting game. And it was anything, but yeah, I mean, that was the bummer about it. I, I, I thought that, um, I was, I was trying to compare the, uh, starting lineups from, uh, UCF's uh, first game uh, against uh, against Georgia Tech to the uh, to this bowl game and looking back through it, I think there was I think there was one starter. That's the that was the same th- two starters. Excuse me, UCF had two starters on defense from the opener. Uh, that was the, it, that was the same at the bowl game. Um, it, it specifically. Uh, let's see. I'm going through Anthony Montalvo and Corey Thornton. That's Eric it. Gilliard wasn't Eric Gilliard. Not oh, Gil- a Gilliard. Yeah, Gilliard was a starter. Yeah, I'm sorry. Gilliard was a starter. So that's three guys. But that's it. Yeah. So I mean, eight, eight, eight guys in the same season. All right. 
that mean, are new. They were, they were down to their third string nickel and their third string safety. Like, right. I don't know because Wilson Wilson got kicked out on the um, on the uh, on the targeting play. They were starting John Powell at safety, uh, and uh, they actually came out uh, officially. They came out with with a three three, but um, with Morris Brash, Gene Baptiste, and and Gilliard. But I mean, it was just it was just a bad situation. And I, I and man. Zach Wilson was just licking his chops all night at that, and um, give give him credit. Give give by give BYU credit. So now the the question now becomes: let, let, Let's assume for the moment that we're right that this is all a total overreaction. All right, so you know it's just it, it was just one of those nights. It was a bad night. Um, mm-hmm. We knew this. You know, it, it, this was this was going to come sooner or later at some point. I feel like you know you're just you're just going to have one of those days. So. So what are the big questions, as you look forward to the offseason, what are the big questions that, that have to get answered that you feel like, okay, this is now a question now based on this game or the season in general? And uh, Murph, I'll start with you. Well, I think everyone's wondering about Randy Shannon. Right? Is he going to stay? Are they going to – what are they – if he does, like, what are they going to pay him? Or is he not going to stay? Are they going to replace him? I'm sure we'll find out. We gotta find out something here pretty soon, um, you know, because we you know it's, it's more, we're never too far away from the next football activity. And you've got mid-year recruits coming in in January for the next semester, and then you've got spring ball a couple months later. Like, yeah, so that's like the big thing for me, roster-wise. Really, the, the intriguing parts for me are what does UCF do at running back and wide receiver mm-hmm. to. You know, two places where they've been loaded with talent for years since Scott Frost was here. And now you are going to lose a lot of just legacy guys there. The you know, obviously Marlin's gone and and Greg McCray's moving on, or Otis Anderson's moving on. We're not, you know, hundred percent sure about Jacob Harris and Trey Nixon because they haven't said so, but I mean they're both seniors and they've been in college for a long time. Like, do they want to come back or not? If they don't you know, then your wide receiving core is, you know, Jalen Robinson, great. Ryan O'Keefe, sure. Deontay Marks from Florida, like, is he going to play more? Or Amari Johnson or Kavan Ahmad, Jakaius Credle? Um, there's, a, there's a lot of question marks there, certainly more so than going into this year. And then a running back, uh, you know, Bentavious Thompson is there. But, you know, Demarius Good, Johnny Richardson. Do, do, they, do, they, do they step up? You know, R.J. Harvey. R.J. Harvey, yeah. Virginia transfer. What does his role look like? There's a lot of unknown there, at, you know, at two positions where UCF really hasn't had to worry too much for the last three or four years. It's not that it's it's not that it's lack of depth. I mean, those guys are there, but but it's lack of experience really because we didn't really see of, very not, much of those guys. Not a lot of proven commodities there. Like at least yeah. we knew that. Like Marvin, we didn't know if Marlon Williams could step into Gabe Davis's shoes, and then he did that, right. and then some. But we knew he was good. We knew Trey yeah. Nixon was good. We knew Jalen Robinson was good. It, but now you're losing multiple guys uh, at, at receiver and at running back, and you're replacing them with guys who, because of those who were in front of them, just haven't had a lot of reps, haven't had a lot of live-action snaps. Yeah. By the way, regarding uh, Randy Shannon's contract that you mentioned, this is from uh, Ryan Bass reported this on Knights 247, but um, or, or, or at least hinted at it, but uh, it was Steve Berkowitz from USA Today who actually had it in a tweet. Uh, Randy Shannon signed a three-year deal with UCF. 
His salary the first two years, 18 and 19, was $300,000 because he was also getting his buyout from Florida, which added up to that. 2020, his salary was $1 million plus a $300,000 retention bonus. So in 2020, he made at least as, as far as what is publicly known. We don't know if this is for sure, but the, as far as what, what has been publicly reported, in 2020, he made $1.3 million. So uh, we don't know if he has been... There was a rumor circulating around that he had, he had gotten an extension at some point, but I don't put much faith into that at all. Um, you know, I, I thought that, you know, granted, you know, schools releasing contract details is always a hard situation, especially nowadays. But, um, you know, I, as far as we know, his, con- he's, his contract is up. But, you know, as soon, obviously, as soon as we find some details, we'll get it to you. But, um, yeah, we don't know. Odd that the school wouldn't put out some sort of disclaimer or release saying, hey, we've extended our defensive coordinator. Right. Usually, Usually yeah, you, you, you would make a little something about that. Or at least, it would, you know, so, somebody, one of the insiders out there would have dropped it. Right. You know, so. So we don't know. Yeah. We don't know what the status is of Randy Shannon. We 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 have we have very limited information on it, uh, at least as of um, right now. Eric, what what what's the big questions for you? Is this team ever going to defend again? Uh, we you, you guys addressed the coaching situation. I question the players. I don't know if we have good players. Yes, there's certain individuals that I think have potential, but as a unit. I think there's questions, and let's start in the secondary. You're losing a Jim Thorpe finalist. He's pretty go might go down as the best safety in the program's history. That's not going to be easy to replace. And there have been a lot of really play. good safeties. Yeah. There. I mean, shout out to him. That was the highlight from a football standpoint of Tuesday was that announcement. It went south after that. Yeah. But that was uh, – man, that's not easy to replace. You don't just replace that in one year. At least, I, I, not, you know, not in, you know, in most places anyway. So I think there's questions there. There's questions about the defensive line and who's going to be good. Yes, there's potential and upside. But as we saw this year, to get back to winning the conference championship, which is the expectations of this program. And uh, we'll play Josh Heupel here in a moment who talked about, addressed that in the postgame. The expectations with this program is to win the conference championship, probably be top 25 and be in the mix there, if not to make it to New Year's six. And to get to that place, they got to get better defensively. Offensively, yes, there's some questions. Jalen Robinson, can he be a number one receiver, this or that? But I feel like, for the most part, they'll figure it out offensively. They have uh, Defensively, that's what they got to get better. And, you know, it depends on what you believe the issue is. Some people think it's coaching. I know Andrew has been very – has written about this on the Bannerette. He's written – he talked about it on the show on Night Shift. He thinks it's a scheme issue, which goes back to the coaching. He does not think they should be running a nickel defense. He thinks they should change the uh, the format. I don't know. I'm not – you know, I, I don't know about all that. But do we have enough players and playmakers on the defensive side? Because if you, you can run all the schemes you want. If you don't have the players, it doesn't matter. And I think that's the biggest question I have for the offseason is the how do you get better defensively? Because Tulsa and Cincinnati showed it's not an accident. Those were the top two teams in the league in the standings, and they played defense. And that's the, that was the difference. And they got to get back to that to some extent. I'm not saying they're going to be a top 25 defense, but they can be a lot better. And I think if they can, then they'll be fine. They will be in the mix. If not, then there's going to be some, you know, there's going to be some questions. And certainly, look, the expectations are going to still be high in this program. And Josh Hypo knows that as he addressed that 
in the post game talking about the expectations and what they need to do to get better. Yeah, I mean, the expectations for us are, are to uh, to win every time we go out on the football field. That's the belief inside of our our program. And, uh, you know, this is obviously the, the three games that uh, are one-possession games. Um, we got to find a way to be on the right way that, that one play. Uh, this one tonight uh, is different. It's the first time that, uh, that we've gotten beaten in this way since I've been here. Um, and uh, we're missing guys. Yep, absolutely. But uh, we need to be good enough whoever's out there, um, the 11 guys that are out there to play at a championship level. Not hard to evaluate at the end of the day. You, you line them up and you play them, man. That's the great thing about college football. Um, competitive arena. You walk off the field, the scoreboard says you're either good enough or you're not. Uh, it's as simple as it is. And uh, when you're not on the right scoreboard, uh, right side of the scoreboard, uh, you weren't good enough. Um, we all, we all got to get better um, for us to, to go do the things that, uh, that we want to do. That was Josh Heupel uh, following the game. And don't you, I feel like Josh knows the issues. Don't you think, right? Like, I, I said it's, this. Uh, it's pretty, uh, it's pretty obvious. I mean, it's, you know, I hate well, saying I, it. But... I just want to mention that because some people think that he doesn't, right? Like, hey, come on, what is he doing? Like, I think there was a moment, and I don't know if you remember, Jeff, watching this on TV in the third quarter when BYU was scoring. And they kept showing Josh, and he was writing all these notes. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I thought to myself, man, I'm wondering if he's writing notes about this game or is he just writing notes about as far as things to address in the offseason, like next week? Uh, because I think he knows. I think he knows what has to get fixed internally. And I think they're going to, you got to get, look, remember, they've also got a hot, but we have not addressed this on the show. Uh, Anthony Tucker. Is, le- is left, I would assume, to go to Utah State to be the new uh, offensive coordinator over there. So he's got to find a new running back coach in a minimum, whether that's from promoting from within or going in the outside. So I think you're going to see some tweaks to the staff, and I think he that there's going to be some things they have to address and decide what is it that we got to do. As he mentioned in the in the in the post game, yeah. as uh, his the, the term he likes to use, Murph, incrementally get better or incrementally. Um, Use the words there, very fancy words. In other words, just how do we get better? And that's what they have to address the offseason. Let me let me throw some. You know, you know me, I'm a stat. I'm a stat geek. So let me throw some stats at you guys. Okay, in 2018, Josh Heupel and Randy Shannon's first year. All right, UCF was 95th in total defense, 433 yards a game. In 2019. UCF was 32nd in total defense, 346 a game. This year, total defense, 123rd, 491 a game. Woo. So they went from so they went from not very good to pretty good to really not very good. Uh rushing defense, which I think is when well, you you mentioned um what uh Tulsa and Cincinnati did, that that was how they attacked UCF was running the ball and controlling the, the line of scrimmage. 117th in 18, 53rd in 19, and 94th this year. Um, Passing yards allowed. 50th in 18. uh, Where is it? 26th in 19, 121st this year. Well, they went from Tay Gowan and Navelle Clark to two true freshman corners. Yeah. Now, let's also bear in mind, this team is built to cause turnovers, right? They were tied for third in turnover margin in uh, in 2018. 
They were tied for 27th in turnover margin in 19, and this year they were 7th in the country in turnover margin. That's what they do, right? They're, they're, that's that's your bend-but-don't-break philosophy. Is you, you know, You're going to give up yards, you're going to give up points, but cost some turnovers. BYU did not turn the ball over in the game. So... Um, you know, when that, when that doesn't happen, things go south, but, um, you see Randy Shan's defense also based on pressure and TFLs. Yeah. And there weren't any of those either. Yeah. That didn't, that didn't happen. Credit to BYU's offense. Line, Cause I think there were two guys that were, that were out for them. Too, they were the, out. Right. One, including and, one and, of them was an all American, I think. Right. Yes. Yeah. Yes. But like, and you know, and I wrote, when I wrote about the piece about where Mackenzie Milton might end up, I put BYU in there. And one of the reasons I did was their offensive line was second they were second in the according to pff as far as best offensive line in college football they are they have done a nice job developing offensive line over there and they mm-hmm. and they've played very physical uh which is one of the things that was certainly a concern uh going into this matchup uh, is is in that line of scrimmage and again it goes back to the defensive line can they improve can they not get pushed around when this team has been successful when they've won conference championships they don't get pushed around. They've had guys up front that don't allow to get pushed around, whether it be a Jamer- you know, Pittman or Tristan Hill or Tony Gerard or whoever you want to do. And, I, and I'm not saying they don't have uh, guys that have upside. And we focus on the secondaries. You mentioned, Murph. But you know what? Can, the thing that would make a secondary's life a lot better would be if you put some pressure on the quarterback as well. You can't leave a cornerback in an island for three, four seconds in today's college football with these quarterbacks because they'll slice you up. So I think it's a combination of a lot of things that just didn't go well this year at the end of the day. Now, it's fixable. This is fixable. That just because again you had a bad year this year or so and so, it doesn't mean it can't get fixed for next year. I think that's the positive. It's not something that's permanent, but I think those are things that will have to be addressed uh, by the staff, yeah. and we'll see what happens. Listen, the, co- this, the coaching staff is not stupid. They know what the problems are, right? It's just you know if, if they also know a heck of a lot more than we do about why those problems occurred. So they're going to have sol- they're going to ha- their solutions. I don't know what their solutions are, but they're you know, they may or may not be the same as what we think they're going to be. So correct, uh, it's going to be an intriguing and by, uh, offseason. It, it, it's a gut check. You know, the staff's got to look internally. But I think also the fan base has to look internally. They got to forget about 2017. Like, that's over with. That's done. And I think some people are having a hard time accept that. The 25 straight wins, that doesn't happen every year. Every program, okay? Every program, unless you have Nick Saban on your sidelines or Dabo Sweeney, is going to have a clunker of a year here and there. Things are going to not go smoothly. So just that's the way life goes, man. I mean, there, you know, and I keep seeing people re- reaching out about the recruiting on the show. Listen, if recruiting Florida was the answer to everything, why isn't Miami better? Why isn't Florida State better? Why isn't Florida better if the, if the state of Florida is the answer if you just recruit Florida kids? Can somebody answer yeah. me that? We talked about that a couple weeks ago when we talked about signing yeah. day. It's like, as long as you get your guys that fit your system and are the best players for your program, I don't care where they come from. Yeah, get good players. And, we, and, and we've also talked about yeah, and that's what and that's what we've talked about before. And we and I've written about at length on the site about how you know we have that re- recruiting recruiting and player development database where it's it's about player development. You know what happens to those guys over the course of the time that they're at UCF? Do they get better? Do they move on? What do they do? Um, you know that's that's the part that always gets overlooked. Recruiting does not win you anything. There are no trophies for recruiting, so stop pretending that there are. Amen to that. And like I said, 
we'll find out in next year or two. Like I said, there are things to be tweaked on, but I also think people have got to let go of 17 and 18. That run is over. This is that you're not getting, you're not winning the next 25 games. I'm sorry. That just, that doesn't work that way in college. This ain't, it doesn't work that way in college football, unless you have Nick Saban and even Nick Saban drops a game here and there. Yeah. So, I mean, it's, yeah, I, but I, I, I guess, do we say that now? Like, can we say like that? Did this game mark the end of that run, that era? Or is there still gas in the tank from from the standard that was set there? I think that ran that ran that ended last year. Now, yeah, that could, era that era ended before this season started. Yeah, like now you could argue it ended some would argue it ended when the infamous obviously when McKenzie went down in Tampa. Some would say it ended at Pittsburgh last year when the streak ended. Uh, you know, it is what it is. Uh, it ended. And I think people had this idea that this was going to last forever. And that doesn't work in today's college football. Again, take away Alabama, Ohio State to some extent, and Clemson. Every college football team goes through ups and downs. Look at Florida State What in the mess they're in. They had a great run, and then now they're in the mess. Uh, Jim Harbaugh in Michigan, that's been a hot topic. Oh, he stinks as a coach. He averages nine wins a game, but he can't beat Ohio State, so he's apparently he's a bum. Uh, it's just all over the place. And this is not just a UCF issue. This is a college football issue. There are no bigger whiny fans than college football fans. They're spoiled. And in today's game now, if you go at eight and three, nine and three, eight and four, they want to fire coaches every year, and it doesn't work that way. I knew we would, Murph, I knew we would get Eric. Unless to, you're in Auburn. Apparently in Auburn, you can't. Eric, I have a question. No, I, I don't think you can because like, how many guys did they go through before they finally before they finally threw a Brinks truck at Brian Harson? Right? I mean, that, right? that, at, that at this point, I, I mentioned on Twitter like Auburn is basically too big to fail, and that's why a lot of coaches were like, "No, I don't want to deal with that." <laughs> yeah. Eric, I have a yes. question. When, when these spoiled fans when they're complaining, what do they sound like? Oh, I don't know. I'm not going. I'm not gonna go that the the, the stereotype. Come on. Give the people. Boo! The people get want. him out of here. How could he lose there? That's terrible. We're all like, get him out of here. You're fired. We, we did it, Murph. Here. We did it. He we went, did it. The show is a success. You see, a troll fan voice went to Staten Island there for a minute. Okay. It's, it's, I, well, I don't know. I just had like a little George Steinbrenner moment. Like George, I feel like everybody thinks they're George Steinbrenner. Like like like. Back in you guys are Yankee fans. Every time something went wrong, he just fired Billy Martin. It was his fault. Yeah, he, fi- he fired Billy Martin five mi- every and, five minutes. He almost fired him at an introductory press conference. And I'm not saying that you don't have a right to be disappointed with the game or the season. That's fine. I get it. I don't. That's fair. But every time, can we just stop every time the game loses? All right, fire everybody. Like, and it's not just a UCF thing. I mean, I'm sick of Nebraska. I mean, Nebraska people are just the same thing. They think that. They, they should return to the Tommy Frazier day. Scott Frost is heading that program in the right direction. I'm sorry that it's taking more than a minute. I'm sorry. Mm, yeah. Frank Beamer would not have lasted in Blacksburg. Bobby Bowden would not have lasted at Florida State with the, the, today's kind of uh, – Howard Schnellenberger in Miami for that matter. Right. I think how long that took to build the program. Yeah. I mean, it's just it, – it takes a while – and you're going to have ups and downs. I mean, as a Dolphin fan, there's Don Shula's regarded as the greatest head coach of all time. Look at the 80s, late 80s. We couldn't even make the playoffs. Yeah, there, we was, didn't some, fire there it. was some clunkers during Marino's prime, let me tell you. Parcells, you guys are giant. Parcells had some clunkers there. Parcells was almost, Parcells himself was almost fired. Right, right. In 82, right. So, I think, right, Murph? Somewhere around there. So, Right. So give, 
Let's see what happens in the offseason. They're going to add some players, I'm sure, on transfer. We'll see what happens with the staff, and hopefully they get good players. And then we can reassess this a year from now, hopefully under more normal circumstances than these circumstances that we've dealt with, which is the worst year in the history of the world ever. That's – well, I don't know about that, but – uh, I mean, there been, there been some, listen, there have been some pretty bad years in the history of the world, Eric. Let's just be real. All right, right maybe in our recent history. How about yeah. um, Anyway, the uh, – so uh, one thing I do – I and I will end the segment on this. One thing I think that the coaching staff and everybody really at UCF deserves a tremendous commendation for is that they got through, they got through this season without losing a game due to COVID-19, um, which takes a degree of discipline. Uh, and uh, good communication by uh, by the players and the coaches. They committed to the the cause, and they and they did a great job. They should be commended for that. I mean, you know, yeah, the record wasn't great, but you know, let's just be honest. That's when you look around the country, that's pretty freaking remarkable what they were what they were able to pull off every game that they had. So, um, Ooh, yeah, get about it. That's not acceptable. We should have won all of the games. Anyway. Oh, is Coastal Carolina better than us? <laughs> Coastal Carolina. All Where right. are they from? I would love. To, I would have loved to have seen a game between us and Coastal Carolina. Believe me. Anyway, uh, let's take a break. When we get back, we are going to talk about men's basketball. Big win over Cincinnati. Tough win over Cincinnati. Hard fought. They're going to be on national TV this weekend. My goodness, Eric Lopez. We have more TV to talk about. Stick around. We'll be right back. This is the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Welcome back to the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Jeff, Eric, and Brian with you here uh, two days before Christmas. We're recording this on Wednesday, December 23rd. In the wake of UCF men's basketball getting off to a 3-1 and start. And after the upset victory against uh, Florida State. By the way, great game. Actually, let's talk about that first because we haven't really gotten into that uh, too much uh, because it happened on Saturday. But they go into Tallahassee and they beat Florida State 86-74. Old news now, I get it. But I just wanted to to pay some tribute to this because what a game for Brandon Mahan. 10 of 13. Uh, Eric, you guys talked about this on yet. You had the night shift that happened right after that. 10 of 10 at the line, 32 points. 22 points for Isaiah Adams. 20 points for Darren Green, including six threes. And... They just played defense down the stretch on Florida State and took care of business in this game. Um, wow, it was it was really what a second half for them too. They outscored Florida State by seventeen points, fifty-two to thirty-five in this game. And coming and even though they had the two weeks off after the Michigan game, to go up to that place and beat that team and hold their NBA prospect right. Uh, Scotty Barnes to three of eight, eight points, three assists was in 29 minutes was really a remarkable feat. Murph, you were paying attention very closely to the game, even though you weren't up there and you were lamenting. Oh, don't that. rub it in. Come so on. Really he's, oh, I mean, wow. you know, hey, listen, you know. no, no, I, no, I'm complimenting you because you made a responsible decision and you had, and you had to, and you had to put priorities over priority. Hey, I totally get it. I totally doesn't get mean it. he feels good about it. He threw his hat I don't on think the. He should, I don't think he out. should feel bad about it at all. I don't think he should feel bad. About I it. feel. I feel awful. <laughs> I'm filled with major FOMO. Uh, you not. In hindsight, it was brutal. You should not. It's. It's. I'm. I'm picking you back up off the mat. But that was. That was a performance, wasn't it? 
It was great. It was very unexpected and fantastic. And it was really good to see that sort of carry over. It wasn't as flashy offensively against Cincinnati, which we kind of expected it not to be because these Cincinnati games are always sort of a, a, a of a mud fight. But uh, it, it was good to see Brandon Mahan stay hot. C.J. Walker continue to play good, really good defense. This team overall played really good defense. Um, continue to, even though they got out-rebounded pretty badly against Cincinnati this, this last game, they really didn't allow any second-chance points, which they didn't allow at Florida State either. Um, this, a lot of things that drilled this team to victory at Florida State continued on, you know, continued happening in Cincinnati. So it's the consistency you like from this team now that they don't get too high and they don't start, you know, believing their own press clippings, as it were, after one huge win. They, they, they kept it rolling. Well, that takes us to that game. 75-70 was the win over Cincinnati uh, on uh, Tuesday prior to the the bowl game. And uh, I was there for, for PA. You guys were also uh, keeping track of it. Um, it, was, it, I, it, it was chippy in the first few minutes. I'll uh, say. It was, you know, you had... <laughs> we, had like, we had like six technicals. There, was, there were five technical fouls called okay. on the game two double technicals uh and then one on the Cincinnati coach um but uh, I what I what I thought was happening okay so this was Cincinnati's MO right they get in your face they they give you a little extra shove they throw their elbows around and they try and get you to react right that's what they do they've been doing that since Bob Huggins and their coach whines on every call and well whatever but um, what I thought what but what I thought was really interesting about this, and I heard a couple fans kind of get upset when it was happening, was the officiating crew. I thought did a very nice job of this game because they right when things started getting chippy, they were like wham, double technicals, and then something else happened down. That was the first one was between uh, was Williams and C.J. Walker got teed up real quick. Uh, Walker, I think, got teed up. He was he had like just came come into the game uh, when it happened, uh, and then with five minutes to go, their uh, by the way, eight minutes their coach gets a tech, and then with five minutes to go in the first half, Terry Eason for Cincinnati and uh, and Brandon Mayhan get whacked for double tees, and I thought that that was the officials saying, "Listen, knock it off, both of you. We're not going to have this tonight." And believe it or not, when that happens, that puts Cincinnati off their game because they like to live on that very physical edge. And the game was tied at 35 uh, at the half. And then in the second half, UCF just went on a big run. They opened up a big double-digit lead. I think they're – what was the biggest lead of the game? It was uh, 13. 13 points with eight minutes to go. And – uh, and that was after UCF kind of fought back after they fell down in the early f- part of the uh, in the early part of the first half, but uh, you know from fourteen forty eight of the first half to to eight twenty of the second, UCF swung that game by twenty points, and mm-hmm. uh, and the uh, by the way leading scorers by the way, twenty another twenty five for Brandon Mahan who was excellent this game, hit five threes, um, uh, fifteen for Isaiah Adams on six of eight. Uh, Darren Green had 12 on 5 and 9. Uh, Dre Fuller had some clutch buckets. He was 3 of 7 for the game. Uh, let's see, what else do we... Uh, CJ Walker, I thought, uh, again, great defensive game. 7 points. Uh, he did come up with... Um, uh, where, where was it? Oh, it? 7 points, 2 rebounds. Uh, 4 blocks for CJ in this game. Uh, protector. Yeah, 
Uh, and uh, and I thought it was just a great presence on the inside. Had the big dunk that made the Sports Center top ten. And this game would not have been as close down the stretch if it was had poor Darius Perry been able to make a shot. He, the, I felt bad for him. He just couldn't buy one. He was one of eleven from the field um, and was getting good looks, and they just weren't falling for him. It just it, it was it was it was rough for him out there. He won't have another game like that. I'm convinced of it, but. Um, another big game for that big three again, Murph. And you love to see it, right? Yep. I mean, it, it's this team is well balanced right now, offensively and defensively. They got their score; they have their established scores, and they're all. And some of those guys are also their best defensive players. Like Brandon Mayhan's a pretty good defensive player, but like CJ Walker, Dre Fuller are really good defensive players. And when you can get that defense. With multiple guys scoring, you know, 20 points or 15, 20 points a night, um, this team has been I just it's it's been it's still kind of hard to wrap my head around the fact that UCF is, is three and one. Like I'm I'm just not I have not I haven't got my sea legs under me my land legs under me yet. Like <laughs> it's just sort of it's just sort of weird, but we will find out. We will find out how good this team really is. I think on Saturday against so- Houston. Well, here, here's another key stat from Cincy, right? 19, Cincinnati committed 19 turnovers. UCF got 26 points off of them. UCF committed eight turnovers, and Cincinnati got seven points. So you're taking they took great care of the ball, and they forced Cincinnati into a lot of mistakes. Six total steals. Uh, and yeah. I think Cincinnati had like 14 more rebounds, but UCF had more extra, more second chance points despite yeah. that. 41 to 27. UCF actually got out rebounded in this game and got clocked on the offensive boards too, 11 to six. Uh, but uh, second chance points, UCF actually did outscore Cincinnati 10 to nine. Can you believe that? That's huge. Yeah. I mean, the offensive boards are great, but they don't mean anything if you can't follow them up. Yeah. And so UCF it, it kind of a ba- they backslid a little bit in that area because they were they they beat they beat FSU on the boards offensively. Uh, but to lose that against Cincy, but still hold your hold, you know, hold in there, and 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 keep those second chance points to an absolute minimum, uh, it's a huge reason why they won this game. Well, that that tells me though also that their interior defense, aside from the rebound, the interior defense really is it really is something, and I think that's where C.J. Walker has been yeah. so far has been really spectacular. And if only they could get him one more body underneath to help him out. I, I think you know we we see we saw a cup of coffee from Ibrahim Ibrahim Famuke Dumbia. Um, he did get some backside help from Sean Mobley, but uh, but th- that's not really I think what Sean does. No. Uh, and uh, and Isaiah is getting out on the break, and that's what actually he was able to do. So he's not going to be helping down low rebound, but um, it just shows you the force that CJ has become uh, as a, as a defensive player. And I think the offensive game will eventually come to him. So that takes us to. Saturday, day after Christmas, Eric Lopez, we have got some breaking TV news to tell everybody. That is correct. UCF and Houston. Number six, Houston. The Cougs are coming to town, and this game will be televised 1 p.m. Eastern time, the day after Christmas, on ABC, the big network. UCF is going to be on ABC on Saturday, facing the number six team in the country. Why? Because one of the bowl games got canceled. (laughs) <laughs> and, and and so they needed something to fill that time slot, and lo and behold, hey, UCF's available. I don't mind being the I, I don't mind being in that slot. Like, do we got anybody we can put on? Oh, UC, the UCF game. 
All right, let's do it. <laughs> well, and they, they picked the UCF-Houston game over Kentucky-Louisville. So it wasn't like, oh, we have no choice. Th- that was a surprise to me, honestly. Well, I look, UCF-Houston are playing better than Kentucky and Louisville right now. True, I mean, but that's, a, still, a, that's still, you know, it's, it's still Kentucky and Louisville. You know, if you're a college yeah. basketball fan, you tune in for that. Sure, but not the TV execs. Look, you want the new – here's the truth. What happened was – they found out that Brian Murphy was going to be at this game, and they're like, guys, we got to put this on ABC. It's too big. It's too big. If Murph was at, like, at Kentucky Louisville, this would be on ABC. But it, he's not. He's going to be here at UCF. You know, that's the big deal there. Uh, Eric, has UCF basketball been on ABC before? No, no. Not, nobody in the American has. This is the first game ever in the American. Really? Uh, you know, the last ESPN, they've kind of started putting games back on ABC the last couple of years. Remember – you know, it used to be that you that would be the game of the week in the 90s and things like that. It wasn't until the last couple of years they've started to put games on ABC. But this is the first for the American. It's the first for UCF. Uh, the only times that UCF have ever been on network has been when they've been in the NCAA tournament. Uh, more recently, Duke and VCU. We know how those games worked out yeah. and how many eyeballs those games yeah. had. UCF so. has been on CBS at least... Well, I mean, not, four, counting four, counting obviously the tournament games, at least at least six, seven, yeah, at least six or seven. Plus, it, it, didn't they get? Didn't we get one? Uh, did, didn't they have a game on the at, at the American Conference Championship that was on CBS too? No, we didn't make it there, unfortunately. Murph and oh. I was there. Had they gotten to the uh, semifinals, they would have, but we lost to Houston in the quarterfinals. And that's so it's always Houston and UCF in the mix for television time, folks. And remember, two years ago. And Murph was there as well in Houston. College game day was in Houston for the UCF-Houston game. That was the marquee game. Jay Billis did the game with Reese Davis. This Saturday, it's going to be Rich Hollenberg that will be calling the game, who is the uh, host of the Tampa Bay Rays, the American League champion Tampa Bay Rays host, alongside John Crispin for the ball game. But this is big. This is a big game. Uh, it's a Houston comes in ranked six. They just blew out Temple They after being off for a couple weeks due to COVID issues. And, but Johnny Dawkins said, you know what? We know who Houston are. They've done some good things. I don't need to watch tape. I know what they what they do. Uh, well, Kelvin Sampson's done an amazing job with his group. I mean, what he's done at Houston, he's transformed them to back in the days where they were one of, one of the best programs in the nation. He's done that, you know, you know, every year since, since I've been in the league, I've watched them compete at that level. So he's turned it into a national program. And uh, as players, you know, I love the way they play. I know they're hungry. They can compete every possession. They're going to fight you for everything you get. And that, that says a lot about a coach because that's that's a lot of good teaching. So, uh, no, they, they're going to be a really good basketball team. I've yet to see them play this year, but I already know how they're going to play because I hadn't seen them change, and I wouldn't either if I had the success he's had. That was uh, Johnny Dawkins uh, talking about Houston. and I'm sure he's rebound. watching a little bit of tape. I think he's watched it since the postgame. I have a feeling. Um, look, I think rebounding is going to be a big factor in this game. Uh, Murph, you know this very well. Anybody has watched Houston, Calvin Sampson, he's, in fact, I watched Calvin Sampson's uh, presser after the Temple game. Rebounding, they take a lot of pride in rebounding. UCF's got to rebound better in this game than they did against Cincinnati. You're not going to get away with the way they rebounded. And Johnny knows that. He's talked about the rebounding issues. They had the issues against Michigan. They can't afford to be uh, get beat up like they, and rebounding like they did against Cincinnati because Houston, unlike Cincinnati, will finish those plays off. Absolutely. And, and Houston, again, never a tall team, never has been a tall team in this stretch of success, but really tenacious, extremely fierce underneath the basket. 
you've got, got you know guys like Quentin, Quentin Grimes, who's been their star, but he's also averaging, along with 20 points per game, he's averaging 7.7 rebounds per game. You know, and he and Dejan Giroux, you know, I think Giroux's like 6'5", and Grimes is 6'3", and they're among the leading rebounders for this team because they just – that's why this team plays. This team is really hard to keep out of the paint, even though they're not seven-footers. They are just tenacious. Uh, you know, Houston's obviously played fantastic basketball. You saw them beat Texas Tech earlier this year. Quentin Grimes has been a total stud for this team. And, guys, just in time for the UCF game, Caleb Mills is back, the preseason conference player of the year, who's missed most of the season due to multiple ankle injuries, one on each ankle. Uh, he could have played against Temple on Tuesday night, Houston's last game. Houston won by about 20, I believe, over Temple. 26. Yeah. yeah. But but uh, they decided to rest him, and Kelvin Sampson, Kelvin Sampson said, well, he could have played, but we decided to sit him out. You know, just in, just so he's ready, full go against UCF on Saturday. You know, Central Florida's got a good team. Tulsa's Central Florida won at Florida State. That's great for our league. Uh, Tulsa won at Memphis. SMU won at Dayton. And you think about our next three games. That's how that's how good those teams are. All right, that was Kelvin Sampson talking about right there. UCF, they're the matchup. Part of a big stretch for Houston, by the way. They got and he talked about that UCF win against for against Florida State. Great for the league, and this is great for the league too. This is a marquee showcase for both teams. Uh, I wrote about this on Black and Go Banneret. This is the highest ranked team that will play at that building against UCF ever. The previous highest ranked team to play in that building was seventh uh, by Cincinnati and Louisville in 2014. So this is a big deal. I think they're legit. Murphy, I know you believe Houston's the best team that UCF will play on the schedule, even better than Florida State. You're not alone in that. There are a lot of people that agree with you on that. Some people think this could be an Elite Eight type, of, maybe even a threat for the Final Four type team with Houston. I mean, Calvin has done a tremendous job. They've got a lot of depth. Uh, Sampson, obviously they've had issues with COVID. Everybody on the team has had COVID. So they haven't practiced as much together uh, yeah. that – and I think actually Calvin's a little worried about that. So in a in a bizarre way, you're probably catching Houston at the right time because they're not at full, you know, in sync. At least if you believe what Calvin says. Now coaches sometimes, you know, if there was up to them, they would have a hundred practices. But um, look, man, it's a big game. It's a big game. Now I do have some other news that is a might be a little concerning, Jeff and Murph, because you'll both will be there. Calvin Sampson, as we know, one of the great things about seeing Houston is this suit and tie game, right? Like, when does he take off his jacket? When does he take off the tie? It's become a big thing. Joseph Duarte of the Chronicle yeah. covers that. Yeah. Well, on Tuesday, Calvin Sampson did not wear a suit. He wore a polo, a Nike Houston polo. You know what? I was just gonna. I was just gonna say like. This is the perfect year for Kelvin Sampson because he's, he doesn't have a suit that he wants to get himself out of. You, you don't have to well, wear a suit. So because you can't just throw your jacket and ties around anymore with the protocols, there's some speculation that Calvin might just go with a polo. Uh, we will find out, Murph. You're going to have to let us know. Does he wear a suit or does he go polo on Saturday? This could be an end of an era here. Johnny went. Johnny went polo and slacks on. Uh, and that on, was some sweet Tuesday. looking polos, by the way. If anybody wants to hook us up with those polos, feel free. <laughs> I, yeah. I yeah. 
Go ahead, Murphy. Nope. I'm sorry. That's Kelvin Sampson whipping off his polo shirt. Let's just keep that. <laughs> <laughs> he did throw a water cup, apparently. Joseph Duarte did report that during the temp. Did he throw it or did he kick it? Like he like yeah, yeah, yeah. He, and did he, he got... did he throw it? Did he did he release it in the direction of someone? <laughs> I didn't watch that particular moment. Only Joseph Duarte apparently is on top of this stuff. Uh, so I don't know, man. I'm worried, Murph, because I enjoy our, hey, when is Kelvin Sampson going to take off the tie and jacket over-unders? It's become <laughs> yeah. a huge national phenomenon. What are we supposed to do here? Uh, the over-under no, over is 20 minutes of the first half. Boom, there you go. Yeah, that's cheap. You know, <laughs> there, there was a game, was it in the tournament maybe? I remember the conference tournament where – the jacket and tie were off before the first media yes. timeout. Yes, we were it right like, there, oh, Nick. God. By the way, just a, a couple of numbers to keep in mind as we go about this game on, on Saturday. We talked about Houston's rebounding, but I just want to put some numbers to it. They are the top, they're a top 10 rebounding team, I get it. But as far as the numbers, they out-rebound their opponents by 13 a game. They grab almost 16 offensive rebounds per game as well. Their scoring defense is averaging about 55 points allowed per game. They're sh and they only allow a 23% from the three-point line as far as defense. Oof. So UCF shooting will be challenged. UCF rebounding will be challenged. And with Grimes, Giroux, and Caleb Mills back, there's plenty of offense here uh, where you get this balance, you, the kind of balance you've seen from UCF. But, you know, this is, just, uh, this is, like, a, this is like a souped-up version of what UCF does defensively and offensively. They're going to be good, man. They're going to be good. You know, my hope is that you know ABC. The reason why ABC took this game is not because they think it's going to be a showcase for Houston for March, but that this will be an actual game, right? I, I, you know, that's 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 at least my hope. You know, because like, you could get uh, you know a UCF has kind of, you know got a lot of pub off of that win against Florida State. You know, national writers started tweeting about it, taking note about it. Everyone knew how good Florida State was coming in and how and I think that really did surprise everybody how well UCF played um Florida State. They're gonna need another very similar game. In fact I would argue an even better game if they want to be well UCF. and not only that, but Brandon Mahan and Isaiah and Isaiah Adams have become national names now. Like yeah. you know they become they become national names. Yeah. Big time. And buy CJ CJ now. Walker, yeah, buy stock now. I got like our guy Rothstein. And uh, let's not forget CJ getting on the sports center top ten. I mean that's That'll get you something going. So uh, yeah, it's gonna it's gonna going. be fun. It's gonna be big. Tip it's off be big, 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 big. Yeah. So this this is a big game. Tip off what at one p.m. ABC, ABC, Murph, and then don't forget did, like, Tulane Murph, Wednesday too. Murph, I, I'm telling you, you know they've heard you on the show complain about tip times. You know last week we trashed the the nine o'clock tip. I think they made it up to you here with moving this game up to one o'clock. I'll just have to go easy on the Christmas eggnog and be ready to go Saturday morning. Really, there you go, there you go. Easy does it with the easy does it with the cinnamon whiskey, Murph. Yo, I tell you what, the blended eggnog—it's like cheap. You can't you can't beat it. You can't beat it. You can't. What do you put in the eggnog? No, it's blended. So oh, it, it is blended. All the stuff already. I think like you can buy a good like a good fifth for like eight bucks. I swear to God. And yeah, it's it's dirt cheap, but it tastes great. Well, it's dirt cheap because nobody actually wants to buy it. Nobody, everybody's like, ah, eggnog. Like I'm not even really an eggnog guy. Right? It's great. It really is like it is like drinking cream, but like cream that'll get you drunk. It's great. <laughs> no, but again, okay. I'll take it. We digress. 
get out of here before we get in trouble. Sounds like you you could have used that at the the press box there for the football. I, I have bought eggnog in May before, guys. Like you know, just, they you sell know. it in May. Yeah, because it's like dirt cheap. You can almost get it for free. They're giving it away. Wow, wow, I'm surprised. All right, uh, don't forget. By the way, the Wednesday seven o'clock Tulane on ESPN Plus. The follow up to that game. So, uh, Eric, you thinking we we're going to do a night shift after Houston on Saturday? You think? Uh, <laughs> yeah, we're going to be on around three uh, thirty ish. Murph will be. He'll be in the building. We'll recap that and look. We'll see how it shakes out, man. I mean, this is fun because I don't. There's. There's nothing to lose for this team. This is a great opportunity. This is the measuring stick of the league. So I think it's a great experience to them for learning, and we'll see how they match up. If they can somehow win this game, think about this. If they win this game, they would have wins against Florida State, Auburn, and Houston. Yo, yeah, because people have asked this on the Night Shift show. Yes, this would be a top 25-ranked team on Monday if they were to win on Saturday, which would be super exciting. And honestly, if they beat Houston on Saturday – we may have to start thinking about travel arrangements for Murph to Indianapolis for the NCAA tournament. That's Easy how big that would be. Easy does it. Don't jinx it. Oh, I, <laughs> see, this stuff scares me, right? We are just – we are bootlicking this team right now after four games. <laughs> We've got to stop. We are, we are asking for this thing to come crashing back to earth at this point. And it's but really if they But if they lose things the game, are going it's good. okay. If they lose, it's okay. Is my point. It's not the end of the world. It's I, I much, all the game. You know, it's a great. I mean, there's excitement here, especially as the advocate for Mr. UCF basketball, Isaiah Adams, who is people are excited about. Who scored 13 of his 15. All right, you didn't even mention him, Jeffrey. 13 of his 15 in the second half in the Cincinnati game. The kid's got a low post game. He's got it all. And I asked him about it after the game. How do you have all this repertoire, buddy? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, the first half, um, the reason because I was in foul trouble, he didn't want to get my third foul coming in to the halftime. So he kept me out and just kept me going to for the second half, knowing that for me, uh, for the team, I'm like one of the like an energy guy for the team to get us defensively going. So he's wanted to come in and then the second half do because in the first half, it was a close game. So to come in defensively and like turn the energy up. We didn't have a lot of energy. So when we turned the energy up, then we started to grow a lead. And then, so that's really what I wanted to do, just come out there and pick the energy up for the whole team. Impress me about you. You've got a lot of variety in your game. You, you don't just settle for jump shots. you got a post-up game, which you went to, uh, especially in the second half. Cincinnati really didn't have an answer for that. You could drive. Just talk about the variety of the game there, because you feel pretty, you feel comfortable there, it seems like, in the paint there, either posting up or driving. Yeah, um, I tend to, like, do that and want to be a, a variety a, like all around player for the team and just transition my game to like for for the future, which I want to do is go to the NBA and be able to be out there and be a all around guy and be able to do everything on the floor. Because it's hard to it's hard to figure out what you're going to do with somebody who can do everything on the floor. So I just try to just do everything I can offensively and defensively. So just be like a two way guy. You got a taste of conference play for the first time, especially a UCF Cincinnati game, being physical there, a lot of talking, a lot of emotion, if you will. What was it like for you being a part of it for the first time? And did you have to adjust to it a little bit? As the, you know, you mentioned you got the quick fouls early. Did you have to kind of adjust to how the game was going? I did have to adjust how the game was going as far as um, the refs and like the fouls. That part I did have to adjust to, but the whole the talking and the um, aggression of the game, that part it just comes, it just comes natural. I'm gonna come out, and I'm gonna compete every time I'm on the floor. 
So that part was just a little natural, but just uh, knowing when to when to go and when not to with fouls and stuff, and you know, they're calling it a little bit more. So that that was what I had to adjust to. You know the thing is about him that's hilarious is like late in the game when it's going. I've never seen a player smile so much yes. in college. He's just out, he's having a blast out there, but that must also annoy the living tar out of his opponents. <laughs> he's a competitor. He is a competitor. Uh, I mean, and Dawkins loves that about him. He said that in the post game that, look, he's going to make a mistake as a freshman because he's too aggressive. That's okay. He he likes that about him, and I think that's why you saw him go to him late in the game, go into post up mode. Um, I mean, this and he loves the challenge. He loves competition. This kid's bright, and it's exciting to see him on the court. And that's what's you know it's going to be fun. We've got a lot of great talent on both sides in this game on Saturday. Hopefully, we get a good game out of it. And he does you know the thing that I really love about him, boy, he runs the floor so well. Yep. He yep. really runs the floor well and he gets back on defense too. I think that's the thing. He has a sort of it, it, you know, kind of like a, a great freshman. He has sort of that infinite energy. Man, I just hope he can keep up with it. <laughs> cuz uh cuz yeah, co- conference season the the co- conference play, we're going to get a hefty dose of it on Saturday and that's going to be a very good preview for what we're going to see down the road in January, February and hopefully March the rest of the way too. So, all right. Uh, ABC, 1 p.m., uh, Murph will be there, Eric, you'll be watching, I will be there, I'll be doing PA for the game, so that's gonna be fun. You and, notice Murphy keeps mentioning that, he's all the, these games there, you notice he keeps throwing that in there, you know, he mentioned that earlier <laughs> so about what, Cincinnati. I, listen, I tell, I tell all my family about every <laughs> game, I'm not, I tell my family, I don't tell anybody else, but I, I tell my family I'm there for every game where they can watch it, so that they can listen for me in the background, my sister's love it and they're like oh my god we hear you i mean so, so i'm like this is great oh my god abc like yeah your voice is gonna be on abc in the background oh my god like it, it, what a, what a huge moment for ucf boy if they can pull this off oh that would be something oh my god yeah you, <laughs> t- you thought the fl- i know i know i gotta stop i gotta stop we have really set ourselves up for massive disappointment really god i hope they're not i hope the players aren't listening please guys don't listen to us just 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 play the game play hard all right that's all we ask all right ABC 1 p.m. on Saturday, UCF against number six Houston, uh, followed on Wednesday, 7 p.m. on ESPN Plus, UCF against uh, Tulane on the home floor. And we'll talk about that. And then the and then probably record our next podcast right after that game. And then uh, UCF's next game after that will be at South Florida on January 2nd. That's Saturday. And that's uh, a pretty good Bulls team this year that we're going to have to deal with. So uh, lots to preview for that game. So, all right. Don't go away. We'll be right back. We've got some more to talk about. Murph, we got baseball to talk about. Woo-hoo! That and more we return. This is the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Welcome back to the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Jeff, Eric, and Brian with you. UCF underscore Banneret. Facebook.com slash Black and Gold Banneret. And of course, BlackandGoldBanneret.com. We are the home of UCF Sports, where, guess what, Brian Murphy? We got some baseball to talk about, huh? So the American released their, or, or, or uh, no, they didn't release it, right? It was broken. No, it was Kendall Rogers. Kendall, Kendall Rogers. Rogers. D1 Baseball reporting that base day of the American has kind of passed uh, this, their little details here about the scheduling, what it's going to be like in 2021. Yes. So, Murph, what were the details that we got from Kendall here? Because because you were like, this is great. We're going to have doubleheaders all over the place. Yeah. And, you know, a lot of, you know, conferences are looking to, uh, you know, stay closer, like stay less travel, 
you know, more games in fewer days. And that's what the American is trying to do here. They've bumped up the number of conference games from 24 to 32. Um, you can still have your non-conference midweek games, but they all have to take place before conference season begins. When, when does that begin? We don't know yet. But the season, you know, can start on February 19th. And you can, you know, and then you can have some some midweek games. But the the, the real nugget here is that you're going to have fewer midweek games and more weekend games. You will have four game series on weekends with a Saturday doubleheader making up as the second and third games of, of that series. So Friday, two games Saturday and a game on Sunday, four game series uh, on the weekends. And I, I'm look first, if you follow UCF baseball for the last couple of years, you've gotten a taste of this. UCF had a doubleheader against CSUN, Cal State Northridge last year on Saturday. It was just scheduled like that. Um, I enjoy this because I enjoy baseball and I enjoy being in a ballpark for as long as possible. <laughs> um, so, th- you know, it's going to be it's going to be good. And I think it, they're doing it right as far as trying to cram more games into a shorter amount of time, cut down on some travel. Uh, also, a couple other things on tidbit. It says that you that they will that the AAC will try to utilize MLB extra inning rules. So do or do not, American. There is no try. Just do yeah, it. Yeah, so there, there's there. It's kind of nebulous there as to whether this is going to happen or not. But sounds like uh, there's a chance we could see the base runner on second to start an extra inning. Yes, the international so, tiebreaker. I love it. So I, Thank I mean, God. Look, if, if that keeps us from going like 15 innings against Ball State on a frigid <laughs> night in late February, I, I'm for that. I'm Well, I'm they kind of have to do that, I would think. If Now, there might be now. Again, I think the, re, the, re, the reason it's worded that way is my guess is there's probably some split differences of opinion within the coaching front as far as that's concerned, probably. But you yeah, would think if you're going to – Needed, right. But, but if you're going to play a four game series in three days, including a doubleheader on Saturday, you kind of have to do that. You kind of yeah. have to play. You got to get like those I'm, games over with because you don't you only have so many arms you can use in college. You know, you, it, it, and, you know, that's so I would think it would make sense. The other thing I wish they would do in college baseball, I think Jeff is definitely for this. And Murph, I know you hate this run roll like. Who wants to stick around in the eighth inning on a fifteen to two game? Like, what are we doing? Like, just yeah, no, I found with that too. I, I am fascinated to see just how this changes how coaches handle pitching staffs and handle their bullpen usage. You know, obviously, once conference begins, you cannot have any midweek games, so that that gives you a lot of time between Sunday and Friday to get guys days off. You're no longer burning guys on Tuesdays or Wednesdays anymore. But once you get into a series. Uh, how do you go about using a guy on uh, on a Friday game, you know, and then is he available for the first game on Saturday, second game on Saturday? And then if you use him in one of those games, how much is he available for Sunday? Uh, we know Greg Lovelady loves to use his bullpen. He's going to lean on it a lot. He always has. So this is going to really, I think, affect, you know, especially Coach Lovelady's uh, handling of his, of his staff. And I, I really uh, am, am interested to see how he goes about it. Now, one of the other things I think is just one of the people who uh, reacted to Kendall's story said, UCF midweeks with other Florida schools are now gone. Just became more expensive to travel. Am I missing something? And Rogers said, not gone. Just will need to have him before conference play begins. Do you yeah. think that UCF is going to try and get some more in-state before conference play starts? Well, you've 
you you have to. You cannot play a midweek game after once conference begins. Right. So and then it's going to be all conference weekends. I mean, I, I don't know if they're going to have a you know during conference season will they have a will they have an open weekend where you can right. schedule a non-conference opponent? That doesn't. I don't think so. Well, and, and well, I mean, it's, and, it would be just as easy for them to be for for Love Lady to be like, you know what? I'm just going to play weekends anyway because it's the because the game is going to be because this is going to be just a wild, you know, time in conference season. Let's just get used to that schedule. No, what were you going to say, Eric? I'm sorry. Well, and I, I feel like, and I could be wrong, Murph. I feel like Greg would prefer it this way. I don't like. I think I don't think he minds playing. Uh, not playing a midweek, heading into a conference series. Now, I think the Florida thing is a little – the only ones that he really played late in the year was the Miami one. Uh, yeah. That would be the one that's in question. Uh, the Florida one, remember, they didn't – they weren't they weren't on the schedule last year. They're, they're as of, So, I don't – that wasn't going to be on the schedule anyway. So, I think really the question will be Florida State and Miami uh, and maybe to a lesser extent, a Stetson. But I, I still think those games could get played before conference starts if that's what the, you know, I don't think that's an issue scheduling because I think everybody's in the similar boat in that regard. Uh, so and I think this is good news for UCF and the American. Uh, the SEC has, has been announced that they're pretty much going to stay status quo and they're going to play their, try to get their games in. The ACC is the same. So they're going to have those opportunities there's some good A-Sun programs he could play with. So they're kind of at an advantage here as opposed to somebody like Wichita State. that They can't just pick out a bunch of quality teams in their backyard. So I think this is all positive for the league, which is already a top-five league, top-four league, even if you don't play a non-conference schedule. And if you're UCF, you want to play more conference games. I mean, they've always scheduled good non-conference opponents. Because uh, you can get Jacksonville and Miami and, and, and other good non-con teams. But this conference, like you said, Eric, is really good. So adding more eight, adding eight more games to, to this, to your conference slate, probably going to help your RPI, to, you know, depending on Bingo. who you face. But Bingo. more than likely, it's probably going to help your RPI. And guys, let's not forget the last two full seasons, UCF has been among the last four out. Um, so they can always use more quality wins. Yeah. It's going to know we're going to get some of them. It's it is you know. It, do you obviously that's going? It, they're going to need more quality wins with UConn leaving the league though too. That's the other thing too, right? Yeah. Well, then you need other schools to step up. But USF is typically good. Houston can be good. We know ECU is going to be gangbusters um, because they always are. Uh, so yeah, but I I have no I have no problem saying that this this is still going to be a top five league. No question. And I'll add a couple things here. I look for softball to kind of do the similar thing. I would not be surprised. I was just going to ask, yeah. Uh, the four-game series, I think they're going to do that same thing. And, again, ACC and the SEC have already gone on record in softball that they're going to play non-conference, which really helps softball. Because softball is, unlike baseball, they're, they're kind of hit and miss in the league. Sometimes they're top four. Sometimes they're six or seven. That's going to help. UCF softball from that standpoint because they're going to be able to draw good non-conference series. Sydney likes to play tough non-conference series that will continue even in a limited schedule uh, format like this is. But So I, I think this is a plus for both sports. My question to you though, Murph, I feel like this would have benefited the 2020 UCF baseball team a lot because they were kind of built for this. They had depth starting in, in bullpen where there's some questions about that for the 21 edition, right? That's my only concern is, does this really, could you know, 
is this the wrong year in a way? Like, you kind of, I kind of wish this would have been the 2020 deal instead of 2021, or am I, or is it too early to tell? Well, yeah, I guess it is too early to tell because I think there's, there's, a, I think the thing is obviously there's plenty of roles to be ironed out, uh, but obviously the big one for the pitching staff as far as depth is well, you lost your closer and Jeffrey Hakinson. Uh, obviously, they have options, Jackson Clare and others. So we'll see what happens there. I will say this. Hopefully the uh, Gringos Locos next to the arena is open on Saturdays. <laughs> I don't be hitting that place up every Saturday between those doubleheader games to get myself a burrito before the game two starts. That's going to happen every <laughs> week. <then. laughs> wow. That is wild. There. Yeah, well, how many hours? I mean, you're talking. You wanted baseball back. You wanted baseball. You're going to get a lot of baseball here. You're, you're I talking. Mean, I mean, yo. And then Eric, we looked at this. We looked this up. You looked this up before the show, right? There yeah. is going to be a conflict with Senior Day at basketball. Likely, yes. Maybe. Yeah, li- maybe. Yeah, it's that weekend of February. Assuming if UCF baseball is at home, uh, likely there will be a conflict there with the last home. It depends on when this conference starts. Do they play that weekend? Are they home or away? But yeah, there there could be Murph. You could be you could be doing a triple header for all we know on February twenty seventh. I will be there for sports. <laughs> <laughs> well, I know that'll be fun. We'll be doing some night shifts from the ballpark. Murph, where are you? Oh, you're at the Gringos right there. How's the food there? <laughs> Excellent. I'll, I'll become I'll become the norm of of Gringos Locos. Well, if you're gonna afternoon, everybody. Can you just negotiate that for a night shift show then? Get like a sponsor? Yeah, and I just sort of model like I, I, I sort of model a different burrito on every yes, show. Listen. Absolutely. Absolutely. Listen, I gotta send that one up the chain, guys. Let's not get ahead of ourselves here. <laughs> All right. Um there was so again, credit to Kendall Rogers for getting that scoop out there. It should be it should be a pretty cool season. Uh, hope again, hoping everything gets off. We got to, by the way, I got to think from the American standpoint, we should start hearing about the schedules for all the sports in the spring here in the next couple of weeks, right? After the New Year special. We should start hearing right after the holiday, I'm thinking, because they're going to have to start pulling the trigger on this stuff real quick because, uh, you know, some of these seasons are going to be much different and they're going to want to get the championships in. And to what extent do they want to stack the championships in the spring? I don't know. So, um, yeah, they're gonna have to start pulling that together um, real quick. Speaking of pulling some things together, by the way, little interesting news note that I sent that, that I sent that around a little earlier this week on uh, uh, from uh, from Boise, Idaho. The uh, there were reports, thanks to the Idaho Press, uh, that uh, uh, the boys that the Boise State University Broncos have been flirting with the American Athletic Conference uh, in the fall of earlier this fall about the possibility of uh, of the Broncos joining the American for football only. Uh, there was a little bit of a FOIA document dump here that um, that included some emails between their uh, football chief of staff, who was Brad Larondo. He's also a senior associate AD, and their then athletic director Kurt Apsey. This was back in August and September. Um, that showed that they were uh, that they were having some discussions with the American Athletic Conference. One of the quotes there was, uh, this is from Lorando to Apsi. Kurt, quote, uh, I, spend, I spent a little bit more time on Friday and over the weekend doing some additional research and calculating relating to the AAC, Lorando wrote. 
I know the option of football and men's basketball, women's basketball only, is not going to probably work, and the Big West is not an option either at this time. So we're down to an all-sports move or not moving. Uh, Apsi responded the next afternoon saying, Brad, at this point, the AAC has told Dr. Marlene Trump, she's the, um, she's the uh, president of Boise State, um, they are only interested in football. I would think that mindset would change if there were other schools in the West up for consideration, which I will, which I think will eventually happen. Still talking to the president, the AAC, and the Big West. Conversations are ongoing. So we have some actual documentation from an actual athletic director that the American is fielding offers for a 12th team here. Um, BoiseDev.com uh, also had a, uh, some, more bat, uh, some more emails that they pulled together. On August 28th, uh, same guy, Lerondo, emailed Apsi a document entitled Athletics 2020 and Beyond. It was a four-page memo outlining, you know, kind of like what athletic departments do. You know, goals for the future, some challenge, you know, kind of like, what, what do they call that report? Like a, uh, a SWOT analysis kind of thing, where we should focus our efforts to advance. Uh, and according to uh, uh, BlueTurfSports.com, this is at the top of the list was leaving the Mountain West. Uh, quote, Rondo's memo said, evaluate best conference placement for football program under current FBS football model with a move to the American Athletic Conference being the top priority, end quote. Now, uh, Brian Harson, we know, has just left Boise State. for He's the head coach, was the head coach at Boise. He just left for Auburn. So Boise is looking for a new head coach now. Um, they have had some issues with uh, ditching so, uh, with having to um, cut back on their on their budget. We saw some staff get furloughed over there, but boy, oh boy, the, you know we keep we all the time, guys. We keep talking about like the smoking gun. Like, do we smell smoke? Well, there's a fire right over here in Boise. Oh yeah. So, uh, yeah. It, like, let, let's take a look at this. Who's gonna? Uh, how's this gonna play out? Right, Eric? What do you think? I think Boise State's going to be joining the American Conference for the 2022 football season. I, I this is, this is that's a divorce. soon though. Oh yeah, what? Look, it's out there. I, I don't see how do you repair this. Like this is out in the yeah. it's kind of when you know if you cheat, you know you're in a you know in a marriage and you cheat on your yeah, it's hard to go back. You know, it's well, hard to accept you back. Well, well, well mind <laughs> you, mind you though, mind you though, this is this was not a leak, okay. This was a document dump from a FOIA request, right? Which you know, it, if it was a leak from Boise, that would tell me, man, they're they're really poisoning the well with the Mountain West by putting this out there themselves. They didn't put it out there themselves. So no, but credit the fact to the journalist who, by it, the way, did that. By the way, B, right? B.J. Rains, who uh, is his father, uh, Rob Rains, is a legendary. Uh, covered the St. Louis Cardinals in baseball, by the way. So a little more baseball there for you, Murph. But, um, Jeff, I remember this. Remember when, when the Mountain West signed their TV deal with Fox and CBS Sports Network? What did we say? What did we say? Uh, that, that it, Well, I, I remember I said it, it was still a house divided. Bingo. And yeah. Boise was not happy because they just lost their exposure. Boise has always been on ESPN on Thursday, Friday night games a yeah. lot. And the other schools and aren't I, happy about them having a sweetheart deal where they get more correct. money. Correct. And, and they were I able just, to also put – weren't they able to also push some of their football games over to another network? Uh, yes, yeah, CBS Sports Network has some games here and there. So, yeah. yes. 
But that's not the exposure that the American has, for example, at ESPN. And I think Boise wants that exposure. And they're not dumb. They're seeing what's going on. The Mountain West right now is not close to the American, at least not in perception, maybe not in reality, all the above. They make more money, the American does, than the Mountain West does. And that's important because Boise's financially has had some issues in the university. They furloughed a lot of employees over the summer. From what I understand, some of the coaches in their athletic departments is working, you know, it was also furloughed uh, this fall. So they have some financial issues, and I think they feel like they're capped in the Mountain West and they feel they got a better shot and making more money and getting more exposure to go to the American and go back to ESPN. And I think ESPN would take Boise back, and I think the American would take him as the 12th member as long as it's not one of those deals. Boise, like If Boise thinks they're going to get special treatment, yeah, they're, then they're not coming. So really, Boise has no leverage here. Either you're going to come and, do, and kind of play nice with everybody, or you're going to be stuck there in the Mountain West and be irrelevant. Here's an interesting email exchange from September 28th uh, where they actually broke down um, where Apsi and LaRondo kind of broke down the, the revenues and expenses. If all sports move to the American, this is not just football, all sports. Okay, listen to this. Quote, this is LaRondo to the athletic director, Apsi. I was actually surprised when I did some breakdown of the conference schedules and so far how realistically the travel is not probably as much as we had assumed. Don't get me wrong, there is still travel, and men's basketball, women's basketball, and volleyball probably get the brunt of that. And in an attached document, um, uh, LaRondo estimated an increase of one, this is according to Boise, uh, Boy, BlueTurfSports.com. Uh, the document says, quote, uh, or not quote, uh, LaRondo estimated an increase of $1 million in travel expenses for the athletic department, including an increase of three hundred grand each for men's and women's basketball to charter to every conference road game. However, he projected an increase of $4 million in additional revenue from TV and media rights deals, college football playoff and bowl game distribution, and NCAA tournament basketball play payouts from a move to the American. And Lorando also projected an increase of $2.75 million in ticket revenue for football and men's basketball games. In all, Lorando said he saw the potential for a, quote, Increased revenue impact resulting from a move to the American Athletic Conference of $10.5 million. That's a lot of money. <laughs> for, Sounds to me like that. we got a pretty good TV deal after I, all. Yeah, huh? well, yeah, oh, there's that. Oh. But, you know, if Boise's like, hey, this is going to, you know, at a time when, you, like you said, they're they're struggling, you know, they, they uh, you know, I, I would say they're, they're not struggling any more or less than any other school. It's just that those... Um, those struggles have been a little bit more public in part because of, you know, we've been able to find out this information from document dumps like right. this, but, um, but that's, that's really interesting to me. Murph. I, yeah. Oh, go ahead, Eric. I'm sorry. Well, I just want to add, I, I don't think the all sports thing is on the table, not in the post COVID. No way. I, I don't see the American going for that. I just, it, it, it that's a lot of travel for a volleyball and the other sports. That's. I don't see that working. So, so you don't see it is... working for the sports that are in the American because boys because it sounds to me like boys is like you know what we can pull it off. And... Well, of course they, of course they do. <laughs> they mean for them, yeah. But if I mean, I don't want to go to. I mean, oh, you're traveling to Boise. I mean, you, Murph could tell you how brutal it is to travel to Wichita. Now you're gonna ask Murph to travel to Boise for a basketball game? Get out of here. I'd well, what do you think, Murph? I'd probably still go to Boise. <laughs> uh... <laughs> That's great. So. 
Yeah, uh, I, it's, it, look, it's it, it is it's attractive. Uh, it's 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 spicy. I would love it. Um, uh, but like you know, I love hearing you guys talk about it. But from my point of view, it's like okay, I I I think it sounds great. I hope it happens. I have no insight into whether it will, and it's just really hard for me to speculate, guys. Uh, boy, I don't know if you know this. I hate to do. I hate to speculate. No. So you sounds great. It sounds great. I hope it happens. You know there are direct flights from Boise to Orlando. I don't think there are any directs, but I'm going to start looking now, just in case in 2022, if I have to. <laughs> hey, this could, you know, we Would all. You... By the way, you opens with Boise this year in football, right. so we, we you yeah, know. So yeah. Could, yep, so that couldn't be a conference game yet. No, but we might get you know, might we might get used to that. Um, I just don't see Jeff. I don't see. How do you how do you fix this if you're the Mountain West? How does this relationship get fixed? I don't think all the concerns Boise has is not going to go away. So that's why I kind of yeah. think this is this is kind of like a feel. Uh, uh, Murph has better vocabulary, but this is kind of a done deal in my view. I don't think uh, if, <laughs> a fait accompli. Thank, yeah, thank you, fait accompli. Thank you. I think if you're Boise, you're. I think this is your best option for football. I and again, just go to the Big West for the other sports. Uh, yeah, Hawaii does that uh, as well. I'm sorry. We're not, you're not get. we're not, okay. I mean. But to be, well, to be fair, like the Big West also has to have a say in that, don't they? I mean, let's Why be would real. They, well, I mean, you know, they kind, they're they adding D2 programs as we speak to the, uh, to the, to the Big West, I think. One of them anyway, but um, we'll see. We'll see. You're right. They do got to make sure they have a home for that. I just don't see the all sports. If, if, if Boise says it's all sports or nothing, then I don't see them coming. But if they say it's football only, and at the end of the day, we all know that it, that's really what they care about is football. They'll do it. And I think ESPN would do it. And I think the, the American would do it because that gets you back to 12. You get to two divisions and you lock up that championship oh. game, which could be in question in a couple of years if you're still at 11. ESPN would be all over that. Yeah. Having Boise State playing against the best teams in the American, get them against Houston, against UCF, like – you know, they would be that, that would that would make those fr- Thursday and Friday night games look a lot more attractive. Not to exactly. say that, not saying that they're not attractive now, but they'd be even more attractive now. A blue turf, baby. Yeah, right there because they're already right there. there on those games. So yeah, so I think that's I think there's a fifty better than fifty fifty shot. This happens by July first, um, unless by July first of twenty twenty one. Yeah, because then you could be ready for twenty twenty two. You don't want Ooh. this hanging around for a couple of years. And we'll see what the finances say for Boise. Maybe they come to Kula. I, again, if I think Boise is more likely to cave and say, yeah, we'll just come for football only. I don't see the Americans caving and saying, yeah, we'll do all sports. I just think there's too many coaches that would oppose to that. But you never know in, in this college. Well, I, 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 well, the thing for me, though, is if you're the American, who are you having in your back pocket at that's, a not, that's not a football school that mm-hmm. you would bring in? With Boise or without him, uh, if if you brought if you told Boise, hey man, we're w- listen, we're only interested in football only. Look, we appreciate the interest, we appreciate yep. you guys doing your homework on this, but like we got to keep these travel expenses to a relative yep. minimum for our school. So let's do football only, and then they turn around and and would invite potentially who? That's the question. Oh well, if you don't want to come and or or do you we'll- invite anybody? That's the other question. I personally would invite that school in Myrtle Beach that just had a pretty good football year, and oh by the way, has won a national. No, title no, no. In well, I'm talking about no. I'm talking about for for all sports because like you're not going to get coastal for football. 
Sure you are. Coastal Carolina? Why would you go to 13 teams? No, 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 no. If you, oh, are you saying Boise comes with them? Yeah, I'm saying they, they would – Boise oh, okay, does football okay, that's only. Different. Who well, else if, would you – yeah. I don't think – I don't know if they add another school uh, for the other sports in that scenario. I think they just keep it at 12 for football. I don't think – you know, if you did – Because you do – because, like I, – I, and sorry to interrupt, but, like, you do have – like, we're looking at it right now, a balanced schedule at 11 for all sports. For now, but we've heard Coach Dawkins and Coach Abe talk about they don't want that. <laughs> they don't want a 20-game conference schedule because they want to have the flexibility for non-conference schedule. So I don't think that's going to stick around either. Um, if if uh, if you told me, hey, Boise's coming, we got to bring in another school that's a non-football school, I would say VCU is the target because they have a great basketball program, and that would upgrade your basketball league. And uh, – you could probably, you know, pair them up with East Carolina and, and all that from a traveling standpoint. So if you force me to do that, I would probably say VCU. But I don't think that's necessarily a must, in, at least for basketball purposes. I would argue in other sports they might need somebody. But uh, as far as the big picture, no. I personally would rather have Coastal Carolina than Boise State because I don't like too many teams that play one sport or, hey, we don't, you know, this stuff. I think Coastal actually – if they could, uh, I would. I like them at all sports, but I understand the draw with Boise and the TV draw, so I'm not going to be against that either. So I, but I, man, I just don't want to have too many teams where you're trying to figure out. Wait, are they in? They're in our league in this sport, but not in this league. That gets very con- complicated, and I think people lose interest. I think that's overstated. Look at what happened to the Big East. After a while, nobody that, could no, recognize no, no, the no, Big no, East. No, 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 no. The Big East was a totally different thing because because you had seven schools that weren't in the that didn't right, play football, right, not right, right, not one right. or two. All right, so I don't. I see what you, I see what you mean. You don't want to yeah. water it down. Yeah, this yeah. isn't watering it down. This. Well, who would you pick? I mean, would you go VCU? Boise I, I, VCU package? Is that? I, I was. What? I, I was actually. Uh, yeah, I would be. Uh, I've said before about a couple of schools that I thought would be really interesting. I know that I've been – I was on board with ODU, Old Dominion, a while ago. But the fact that their football – they couldn't even field the football team this year because of expenses due to COVID, uh, and they just outright canceled. They were one of three teams that canceled their, um, their, uh, their FBS seasons this year. And the only one, by the way, that was actually part of a conference that did that. That was a major, major uh, minus in their in their column. So yeah, I would say VCU. Um, yeah, I agree. I at, agree. Gu- at gunpoint, I would say VCU. I, I haven't done enough research really to be able to say definitively. Like, but just from a competition standpoint, I mean, men's basketball they they have been very consistent. I'm much more consistent than I thought. By the way, I, yeah, I, they've I, become almost a tournament perennial. Yeah, uh, even with Shaka Smart left, they've had Will Wade and left, even, and even before Shaka got there, they were pretty consistent yeah. under Jeff yeah. Capel and Anthony Grant. So, yeah, I think that's the best brand for basketball that you have uh, that's out there that doesn't play football. I think if you did a Boise combo, I think it would be VCU. That's a good market, good passion. You take them away yeah, from you got the DC there, the eight ten. Yep, yeah. yep. That's so. not bad. It's not a bad trip, Murph, to go up there. Not a bad trip. Well, the uh, uh, to tell you what I've been doing for the last ten minutes. The only the furthest co- <laughs> the furthest city to the east that goes nonstop to Boise is Atlanta, 
But Ugh. you can go to Boise round trip out of Orlando for like two fifty round trip. It's not bad. That's literally what I've been doing. Is that with life. is that with a connection? Yes. Now out of Orlando, there's always at least one connection. Usually, if you fly Southwest, which you probably should because it's got lowest fees and you can get your bags on, you could usually stop over in Dallas or Denver. If you fly like Delta or American, they're going to send you probably to California and then up north. Yeah. Um, but uh, you know, overall, it's like a seven-hour flight when you add in the oh. layover time. When you add in the layover time, it's like a seven. It's like a it's like a seven-hour day in the you know. Um, but uh, you know. It's it's certainly doable. I've 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 had much worse. You know, uh, later, you know, later later in uh, uh, 2021, you know, Hawaiian Airlines is starting a uh, direct flight from uh, Orlando to Hawaii. So you're saying that UCF football should play in the Hawaii Bowl again? I'm saying we could pull it off. I think we gotta we, we gotta. There's this thing called a pandemic. We gotta get past first, and then we can. We'll get there. We'll get there. Hey, listen. Hey. My wife, all right, this is what we'll finish up on right here. So, uh, by the way, I'll put the, the link to the Boise article in the show notes. But um, so COVID vaccines are happening, people. And uh, my wife, who's a, who's, who is a nurse, uh, she, is, she just got her first COVID vaccine earlier this week. Um, I didn't, obviously, because I'm not. I'm not the. I don't have the. I, I don't have the clearance, obviously, to do that. But you know, our our first responders, our medical personnel, are starting to get it. It's coming around. I feel like for the first time, we're we're seeing the beginning of the end. So, you know, hey, fingers we'll crossed, there. baby, fingers crossed, fingers crossed. That's right. So, um, so yeah, let's. Well, here's hoping that things continue to go. And by the way, also here's hoping that you, our dear night fan friends. Have a wonderful holiday season. We are very thankful to you uh, as always, and please enjoy your time with your friends and loved ones uh, in as safe a manner as humanly possible, so that we can get to enjoying more UCF sports uh, once the holiday uh, comes to conclusion. Right at the day after Christmas, right? We got we got basketball against Houston. Um, so yeah, it's going to be busy, guys. What are you going to be uh, real quick before we go? What are you guys going to be? Uh, uh, working on once we get through the holiday and you start getting bored again. <laughs> wow. wow. Wait, wait, wait. Wait, did you miss the segment where we talked about UCF basketball? I, aside from that. <laughs> kind of an important deal there. Uh, so I got more TV news. I got TV numbers for the Boca Bowl, TV numbers for Cincinnati football game, TV numbers for USF. That's going to be up on the site. And uh, we're also working on, we got the uh, second part of our uh, Q&A with Tomahawk Nation, that Mackenzie Melton fella. What's he getting himself into? <laughs> we'll find out Find out right here. Do you the see panel. the Instagram photo of him wearing the Florida State hoodie? Yeah. Oh, that was hard to watch. <laughs> it's so funny. I've, I've heard, uh, talking to some people yesterday at the bowl game who mentioned that Instagram post and who all said, like, boy, that really hurt. That hurt. That hurt. More than anything else, we knew it was we knew it was coming. I mean, it's it's like you know it's coming, you know it's coming, but it's still just, <sighs> man. I don't. I'm not I like what. Yeah, it's I love that mindset. I just can't. It's it's how, you can you can only guard yourself so much emotionally against you know against that like you know. So anyway, I get it. Um, by the way, I got a piece that I'm going to be working on over the weekend that I'm been really looking forward to. Eric, remember you told me about how looking at the 
Looking at the defense by the offense and defense by possession. Yeah. Well, I've actually been doing the research on that, and we're gonna have that for early next week. That's what I'm thinking. So beautiful. That Uh, now that'll give us a clear picture for what we got to do in the off season. I like it. Well, I don't know if it'll be clear, but it'll help clarify some things. At least, <laughs> so. it'll give us a Jackson Pollock like exception. Yeah, it'll be you know there there are shapes there you know kind of like uh, you know kind of like a, a Salvador Dali painting or something like that. You know? are, you, are you entering your Picasso's? Are you entering your Baroque Picasso? Period? Yeah, yeah, you know a little, a little bit of a Picasso there. You know, you can sort of make out some things. Other things look like some squiggly lines, and you don't really know what's going on, but. You're, just, you're basically just describing my journalism career. I mean, really. Just <laughs> yeah, right. Give me a break. All right. Uh, Brian and Eric, thank you guys again for a fantastic year. What a wild year it's been. I wish you guys both uh, the happiest of holidays. Be safe to you and yours, all right? Well, this isn't even our last podcast. Yeah, I was going to say, we got one more show in us before the year is over. I know, I know. It's but it's going to be right. It's going to be right before it. Like, what are we looking at? We're looking at we're looking at the thirtieth, right? Wednesday the thirtieth. We yeah. record the next one. But you know, hey, look, it's you know we have the we, we have the conjunction of Jupiter and Saturn happening. Christmas is on Friday. You know, I'm I'm just putting it out there because it's like, hey, it's been you know it's a time to reflect, and I wish you both a very happy holiday. I mean, actually, we might actually have to reschedule that podcast because there's a UCF basketball home game on the 30th. So double dare, header, Tulane, oh, yeah. Header. Dare we do a podcast on New Year's Eve? Because guys, let's let's remember we have we're not doing anything anyway. <laughs> Speak for yourself. No, I'm just kidding. Let's um, bring in the new year only way we can by giving you more UCF babble. That's all let's you want. Call. It's it's what you want. It really is what you want. And uh, especially for and, and by the way, to our entire staff here at Black and Gold Banneret, thank you once again. Happy holidays to you guys and happy holidays also to all of our um, faithful listeners who've been through, uh, who have been with us through this entire time, sending us your, um, you know, sending us your thoughts and your compliments and also um, your hate mail and your hate mail. <laughs> And uh, but we thank you for it because you keep us on our toes. And uh, don't forget, we're going to have. Night shift on Saturday after the Houston Woo! basketball game. That should hopefully that will be a very uh, fun one. We hope we'll have to see. Um, and then of course we have our previews uh, heading up into that game um, as well. So we have a lot to talk about still, even through the holiday. UCF sports never stops, and we thank you. Don't forget to if you doubt it, if you do not subscribe to this podcast, please do so on your favorite uh, podcast downloading platform of choice. If you do, please leave us a, a rating on your platform as well as a uh, as well as a comment. Let us know how we're doing, and don't forget to uh, share the podcast as well. Make sure you tell a friend uh, who uh, you know likes UCF to uh, give us a listen because we really do appreciate. It. We've seen things really grow a lot this year, so um, thanks once again to that. We owe it to uh, you. So for Brian Murphy and Eric Lopez, I'm Jeff Sharon saying thank you so much for listening. This has been the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Happy holidays.